0: Welcome everybody. Some of you may have noticed a little difference in this, and and yes, I did move my part over about a quarter of an inch. So, answer those questions right off the bat. Let's just get that out there. Yeah, don't uh, don't look in the mirror with an electric razor and try and decide should I go a little shorter on the beard because eventually it's gone. So that's what happens. All right, hey, welcome, welcome everybody. Glad that you guys are here out there online. Uh, whenever and wherever you're catching us. I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, I want to take a second before we actually get to the message part and um, just touch base on a couple things. Pastor Gabe uh, prayed already, but there's a couple things that I want to bring out. One is, one is more of a long-term sort of a prayer request, and the other one is a little bit more short-term. Um, and I was thinking about these things, and I'm like, well, We've got it handled. We've got people on it. We're looking at it. We've got solutions. And then I thought, I'm teaching today on how we need to, to not do that, not do things on our own strength. We need to ask. And James 4 says, You ask not, uh, you have not because you ask not. It does go on to say, according to his will. We need to ask according to his will. And so I want to bring out two things. One is a little bit more of a long-term need. And if you were here at the membership meeting on Friday, I talked about this a little bit. But we are in a place where we are beginning the process of looking for a either a new home or a permanent home for Discover. We are We are long-term planning now. We are vision planning. God has blessed us so much. And there are so many options that we have now don't hear me saying this and think we're going to be out on the streets we have two years left in our lease here so we we could be here two years from now but that wouldn't be wisdom to not start planning for what next looks like and maybe next looks like we buy this building and we stay here and we're just here forever Um, maybe it looks like there's another building another facility another place that would be better even for us for what we need Um, So there's all those options right there, and we're looking at those. Two years, will kind of be here before you know it. So we need to start planning. What I thought was why would I narrow it down to three or four of us who are looking at options when we've got an entire body of Christ out there online and in here who may, uh, I know somebody, I know a guy, I know a property, I drive by a building every week that just looks like it'd be perfect. I'm throwing it out there to all of you that let's pray together but that also means we need to move. So if you have an option, you have an idea, you have a connection, bring those to us because now's the time to start thinking. And we don't know what it looks like. We always know that when God has a change in mind, it is better, it's for our good. And so I'm excited, whatever it is, if it's staying here or moving, I am willing to follow the Lord wherever he leads. Are you willing to follow us when we do that, when he moves it's a resounding, eh, eh? A resounding, eh? So that's all right. I know. I know you're just listening. The other thing is that uh, that is more of an urgent prayer request. Is uh, many of you know Daniel Depluy who runs uh, the Rise Coffee Shop. His family owns it, um, and and he runs it. And he's got an urgent need, and that need is this. He is. Uh, some of you know, and some of you don't. But he is not a U.S. citizen. His citizenship is actually in South Africa, and he's here on a visa. And that visa has expired. And he's been looking for ways to either get it reissued or get it lengthened, get it extended, any sort of however government works in that case, so that he can stay. But he has essentially exhausted all of the earthly possibilities that we have and it looks like as soon as maybe next week he might have to to go back and we don't know if it's going to be a short period of time a long period of time so it looks like changes but here's what i know that god is not a respecter of paperwork or visas or even country borders if he ordains it then he can move in a miraculous way and make that work out now i also know this If God has a move in store and He moves Daniel somewhere else, it'll be for His good. It'll be for our good. It'll be, He uses everything for the good of those who trust in Him. And I know that Daniel does, and I know that we do. So, what I want to pray is number one, that God's will is going to be done, but then also for just a move of the miraculous. Would you join me in both of those things? Father God, we know that You are the provider, You are the creator. It is by Your it is by your will that the earth came into being. So Lord, these little issues are not insurmountable to you. They look like mountains to us, but Lord, you can move in a miraculous way and you can make all of these things work out in ways that we will be so thankful for. We could never see it coming, but you make it happen. Lord, the miraculous, is routine for you. We just pray now, we lift up these situations, Daniel with the coffee shop, our home here at Discover, and we just ask that you would just move in a miraculous way, that your will would be done through what happens. But more than that, that whatever happens in either situation, Lord, it would be done in such an amazing way that we couldn't point to anyone else but you. Let it not be something that happens where we say, oh, we figured it out, we had a plan. We took care of it, Lord, that we could point to you and no one but you and say, Lord, it is through your hand that this happened. And by that, you get the glory. So Lord, we lift up Daniel in the coffee shop, help him, help that issue be resolved in a way that is life-giving for Daniel, for the family, for the coffee shop, for those who know and love Daniel and, and, and are friends of Daniel's. Let it be just a life-giving way that we can look and say, your hand was in this, Lord. Help us find find a permanent home where we can put down roots, stop stop wandering or stop even having the the threat that we may have to wander. And, Lord, just, just help us to put down roots and say, this is the place I've ordained for you. And let it all be done in just an incredible way that gives you glory. Father, we love you and we praise you in advance for the things that you're going to do around us and through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Let's get into the message. <coughs> we're, in, uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark still, and I say still, but every single week there's just more and more that we uncover in the Gospel of Mark, and I'm loving it. I hope you guys are too. Um, really? Really? You guys could just not show, and I love teaching so much, I would just teach to the smiley face like I did when COVID was, was new. Uh, that's not true. I love, I love seeing your faces, and I hope that you get as much excitement uh, and as much, um, as much just spirit of God as I do when I'm teaching it. So that's always my prayer. Let's get into the message, though. Again, Gospel of Mark, Jesus the servant, Messiah, We see Jesus and his disciples traveling around the Galilee performing miracles and just basically creating mayhem for the Pharisees who don't know how to deal with this thing that's going on in their midst. All they know is it's upsetting their apple cart and they don't like it. So they've got a problem with it. Last time we checked in, actually, we saw a little shift from Jesus and his disciples were traveling around the Galilee doing miracles. We saw Jesus in his his hometown of Nazareth get rejected. And then he sends out, he divides the disciples out two by two, calls them apostles and sends them out two by two to do ministry in the surrounding areas. Now, if this were a movie, we would see that, meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, and it would switch. So we had a little one of those kind of segues last week where it went into uh, the story of John the Baptist and Herod. If you missed it, go back and check it online online. Um, But it's one of those things that's kind of going on over here in the peripheral while the other things are happening. There's not necessarily a direct correlation, but it's important for us to know. We saw how Herod's sin, how his pride basically backed him into a corner that he couldn't get out of. And so he ends up actually taking the head of John the Baptist, presenting it to his daughter, who then gives it to her mother, and, and all because... He made a prideful boast, a prideful oath that he had to back up. And he didn't want to, but he was backed into a corner and his pride made him do it. So that's what was going on over here. Now we go back to the apostles who have been sent out. They've been sent out. They're going around two by two on their first mission trip, preaching, driving out demons, anointing with oil, doing all those sorts of things. We see this, Mark 6, 12 and 13. And they went out and preached that people are to repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. That's incredible. They had received this limited commission from Jesus and empowered to go out and do these things. And they're doing them all over the place. Now, they probably, we learn, this is one of the things that I like to do is I like to look at the history and the region and the geography and kind of make it make sense. So I'm going to kind of try and make it clear to you. When they when he says they went out, remember, they're kind of center, they're, they're in Nazareth. That's where they had just left. Now, Jesus Sends them out into the surrounding villages to do ministry around there. Now, Jesus probably didn't hang out in Nazareth; he'd been run out of there. So he, most likely, most theologians think that he went home to somewhere around the uh, the, the somewhere in the Galilee. They're not exactly sure. Probably Capernaum is where he heads. That's where his house is. That's where his mother is. So he probably heads back there. Now, the disciples, they head out into the countryside, and they probably, if you look at the region, we have this map of the region, and it's not the best map, but you see Nazareth down here, kind of lower left. That's Nazareth. Now, if he's going to send them out, he's going to send them out into places that are probably within a day or two walk, kind of right around that region, even uh, Capernaum itself is probably a two day walk, so and that 's way up here on the top of the Sea of Galilee. so they 're visiting places like Jodapata, like Gath uh like Nain down here, like Sepphoris, uh, and cana they 're visiting all of those kind of places now there 's some interesting things to know about this. Uh, cana, if you remember from scripture that 's where the first miracle that Jesus did. Took place. Cana was where the wedding was, and he turned the water into wine. That was just right there in Cana, very nearby. Um, Sephorus was where Mary was born. That's where Jesus' mother Mary was born. So she probably had friends and family and acquaintances and things there. Gath Hefer, um, the one that's hyphenated right down there, that's where Noah was born. So very. Minor little tiny villages, but very significant historically what we see. Um, We look at Nain. Uh, Nain down here, clear in the bottom down near Mount Moray. Kind of the bottom edge of where they would have gone. That's where we see Luke 7 talks about Jesus raising the, uh, the widow's son from the dead. That happened down there. So this whole region is being... Touched little by little. And then there's one. I don't think it's on this map. No. It's called La Jo. area called Jo is actually the site of a Roman outpost. At the time they were doing this, it was a pretty small one. Later it becomes much larger and much, much, much more significant and, and uh, historic. Um, but that's, that's where he's traveling around. So So Jesus heads up to Capernaum or somewhere up in that Galilee region. And the disciples are left then to travel around this area doing ministry. That's where they are. Again, all within a day or two walk of each other. But he sent them out two by two, and they're out there traveling around doing their work. So that's where we pick up. Now, before we get back to the Scriptures, I want to share with you just a little side note about Jodhapata. You saw Jodhapata up there. Now, again, at this time, Of Jesus, it's a pretty small little Roman outpost. Dangerous place to go and perform miracles because you're going to create a stir. And if there's one thing Romans don't like, it's a commotion. They don't like that. But, side note about that much, much later, not that much later, 67 AD, the armies of the Israelites were revolting against the Roman occupation. They were organizing into armies, they were in active battle revolting and battling against the Roman occupation. There was a commander of the northern Israelite army, so they were divided into north and south parts. The commander of the northern Israelite army um, made a last stand, if you will. There's really no other way to put it other than a last stand because it all ended up with every, every one of the Israelite army dead by suicide except for one. The one was the commander of that army. Now, to hear him tell it, he was captured. History is not always so kind, and they say that he snuck away, leaving his, his army at the hands of the Romans. But ultimately, whatever way he ended up being captured, the remaining defenders there ended up committing suicide rather than to be taken captive by the Romans. Um, but that commander, captured by whatever means he was captured, they ended up taking him to Rome, and because he was, he was educated, he was powerful, he knew the inside workings of the, of the Israelite armies, and so he was actually conscripted. Um, he didn't volunteer. He was taken in and said, this is going to be your job. You're going to do it now. They didn't kill him, which was miraculous in itself, but they made him the official historian of the Roman and Jewish history. They made him do that. Now, this was formerly the commander of the northern Israelite army. And that Jewish commander's name was Josephus Flavius. We know him as Josephus. We talk about him. I talk about Josephus a lot because he's very well documented. You can buy... In fact, I've got it in my office. If anybody wants to see it, it's it's a book, The Writings of Josephus, and he talks about the Jewish wars. He talks about uh, Jewish antiquities, meaning all the history of the Jewish people. He talks about many things in there. And he's got a unique perspective as former commander of the northern Israelite army and then also as now he's been incorporated into Rome. In fact, his name wasn't Josephus. Flavius, that's a name given to him by the Romans, but that's what we know him by. So that's where he came from, and that's why he has a unique perspective, and, wh- and the way that he documents the things that happened is incredibly accurate. Um, so those of you who are kind of Bible nerds like me and like some of you I know, um, you might enjoy that, and if you want to borrow my book on Josephus, let me know. I'll let you do that. So let's go back to Scripture. They returned. The disciples had returned back now, to, they gather together. They had, must have agreed on a time. They return back together to Jesus, and they all come together. They're probably tired from the road, worn out. They've been traveling around doing ministry. Some places they've been very well received. Some places they had been rejected, and it was a little bit of a tougher road for them. But either way, they got to be tired. They've been out on the road, staying at people's houses, uh Accepting food off of them for their existence. They didn't take a whole bunch with them. And they're probably just tired. Mark 6.30, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Probably looking forward to just downloading to Jesus and then getting some rest. I want to take a shower. I want to have a hot meal. I want to sleep in a bed that's mine. Um, They're probably looking forward to that. Now, you see here in that scripture, it says the apostles. This is actually the first time where they're called apostles. And the reason, that word apostle in the Greek means apostolos. That's that's the actual Greek word of it. And it means literally one who is commissioned by another as their official representative. So when they were commissioned and sent out, they were representing Jesus. And so when they come back, they receive that title of apostle. And they're known as apostles formally from that time forward, this was also when they came back. It was also the first time that they'd really seen each other because they'd been traveling to all these different towns and compass points. And they came back and they came back with news news of things happening in the world. What'd you hear? What'd you run into? What was going on with you? And they're sharing all these things. This was the first time that most of them heard the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And they share that news with Jesus. Now, what happens next, some, some scholars believe Jesus was, oh no, they got John the Baptist, we better go hide. I don't think that fits with Jesus' character. But bottom line, what happened here is after downloading their reports, sharing the news, they had to be just looking for a little R&R. So Jesus, knowing this, whenever we see Jesus go out and expend that kind of spiritual energy, what does he do afterwards? He always retreats to a place to just recharge and to pray and to recover before he goes out. That's a lesson for a lot of us. You can't just go and go and go. You need to rest and you need to recover. And Jesus recognizes that. Mark six thirty one thirty two, 32. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a little while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Can you imagine their disappointment? Like, I just want to eat. And it says they can't. Verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So they couldn't even eat. There were so many people clamoring over them. They had to get in a boat, literally, and go somewhere else to try and find a little free time a little space to where they could do that some translations use the word deserted instead of secluded they say deserted or desolate depending on your translation it's not it might be deserted but it's not desolate we'll talk about that here in just a minute luke nine ten actually specifically tells us that they went to a place place called Bethsaida. okay so they went to Bethsaida. now if you've ever been to israel and if you haven't by any means necessary except for sinful means, you need to find a way to get to Israel. It's incredible. But when you go, uh, one of the things that that we saw when we went there is they take us to a place called the Church of the Multiplication. And that is the the site which the Roman Catholic Church says. It's a little village called Tabga. It's on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that's what they say traditionally, this is the site of the fishes and loaves multiplication, okay? Now, many of you have heard the story of the fishes and loaves before. That's what we're going to be talking about here today. So, it rests where they built this, and if you go there, you'll find all over the place there are either shrines or churches built on the sites where these miraculous things were supposed to have happened, almost without fail. If they say, the miraculous happened here, they'll just build a church on top of it. And you can go in and you can see it, but there's a building there and it's well documented. But what you'll find is that when you go there, if you have a a guide, a tour guide who is honest, and most of the tour guides there are very, very good, they know their stuff really, really well, but they'll make a distinction. They'll They'll say phrases like, tradition says this is the site of the multiplication of the fish and loaves. Or they'll say this is where it happened. That's a fine distinction, but it's important. This is where it happened versus tradition says this is where it happened. You'll find that all over the place. So this, the Church of the Multiplication, um, it's in one of the sites, and we went to see it, and it's an amazing, it's a powerful historical site, but I don't believe that's actually where it happened. By doing a little research, we start looking at this. Now, Quick side note here, there's a lot of confusion about the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Anybody confused about that? Anybody like, are they wrong? Did somebody miscount? Is it the same thing? Is it a different thing? It's two different events. We're going to talk about that, not today, but we'll talk about the 4,000 in later chapters when we get to Mark 8. It's a second event, second miracle, so it's, it's a different thing. But let's go back to, uh, let's go back to Bethsaida. Most scholars agree, modern scholars agree, that the site of Bethsaida is, and they're excavating it right now, as a matter of fact, is to the east of the Jordan River. Let's see a map of that region. So this is a little bit better map of the region. Bethsaida, that that blue line, if you can see it, that's the Jordan. The dotted line is a trade route, just a common, we'd call it like a highway. That was a very common that went through there. And Bethsaida, where they're actually doing excavations right now, is over there. And then you see Corazine, uh, Capernaum, Gennesaret. You see all those places, the, and those places are still there today. So that's what the region looks like. Um, here's what it looks like today. Let's show a quick picture of today. If you stand there today, you stand on that hillside, this is what it looks like. And in the spring, this would have been lush, green grass. Now, this is probably fall because it's turned brown. Um, the cell tower gives it away that it's not in ancient times. Maybe the color photo probably does that too, but um, that's what it looks like if you're there today. This is the region in what scholars now believe is Bethsaida. Now let's go back to the map that I showed you just a second ago, and that's going to fit in with the scripture that comes up here. Um, We know that it's going to be very difficult. We see people surrounding them um, mobbing them they got to get in the boat and they have to leave and go somewhere private so we know that it's kind of difficult mark six thirty three says the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them so what this tells me is if they left from Capernaum here and went to this region up near Bethsaida they probably were never really that far from the shore Okay, they got in the boat and left, but they're probably close enough to the shore to see. So the people are not only looking out going, there they are, they're going that way, but they're running along the edge of the shore to stay with them. And so when they arrive in Bethsaida thinking they're going to have a little peace and a little space, the people are already there. Mark 6.34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. That's what Jesus' compassion, seeing them, seeing this mob coming to see him, his overwhelming compassion immediately says, we're just going to teach them. They are sheep without a shepherd. This is what we're going to do. It's not what he had in mind, but this is what we're going to do. Now, keep in mind, if you're one of the apostles who's both hungry and tired, they're like, I thought we were going to have lunch. I thought we were going to take a nap anything. And Jesus is saying, no, these people, these people need me. We're going to stop and we're going to teach. Okay. So the disciples are sitting there. Jesus knows that his time for ministry is short. John nine four actually says, Jesus said this, we must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, the disciples may not have understood the fullness of that, but that's a foreshadowing, not only of a reality, time is short, but the foreshadowing of him actually being gone, and they had no way to understand that at this time. Mark 6, 35, 36, And when it was already late, so they've been there all day. They've been there all day, and Jesus is teaching the multitudes. When the time was already late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is secluded, and it's already late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, it might seem compassionate. Look, Jesus, we're tired. They're tired. We're hungry. They're hungry. Let's let everybody go home. Let's take a break. Let's let everybody go home and get some dinner, and we'll reconvene in the morning, and you can teach some more. But Jesus is not unaware of the situation here. Mark 6, 37, he answers them directly, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, should we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give it to them to eat? Okay, 200 denarii is about a year's wages for a person. So number one, they probably didn't even have that, but they're saying, they're saying, okay, first of all, we don't have that kind of money. How are we supposed to do that? And then secondly, if we did, Wouldn't that be a huge waste? These people can just go home. We can just send them home, and they can eat instead of spending any money that we do have. See, here's the problem. Even after after witnessing Jesus perform miracle after miracle and incredible things, and then being empowered by him to go out and do them in his name, they still didn't understand the extent of the ways that he could provide. They had seen healing. They had seen demons driven out. They had seen people raised from the dead. They had seen all these things, but they had never seen food just miraculously appear. They had no concept for the many ways that Jesus could provide for them. And so their minds were going right to, how can we fix this problem? We're hungry, they're hungry. Let's send everybody home so that we can all eat. Mark 6, 38. But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Okay, you're looking at a multitude of people. Five loaves, two fish. Now, in my mind, I go, okay, those must be some loaves. Those things must be huge. Wheel them out in a a wheelbarrow. And the fish, are these these like tuna? Anybody ever seen that movie? Uh, uh, Not movie, TV show. What is it called? Big Tuna, something like that. Like 600, 800-pound tuna? All right. I can see how two 800-pound tuna could fill. It'd be messy, but I could see how you could feed all this. That is not at all what's going on here. Because if it was, we could go, all right, I could see how that would work. Here's what we know. John goes a little further describing it. John 6, 9 says it was five barley loaves and two fish. A barley loaf? is not a giant loaf of bread. It's about enough to feed two men. Here's what it looks like. Here's an approximate picture of what that looks like. Most people agree that the fish were sardines. Two sardines, and these are more like dinner rolls. Two sardines, five dinner rolls, about enough to feed two men. We know that sardines you think of a sardine being about the size of your finger because nowadays they pack like 20 of them into a can a full-grown wild-caught sardine is about four to six inches long they're still tiny though they dry them so that they can carry them in their packs and take them with them and the barley loaves are tiny again it's meant to be just thrown in a pack and just go that's a lunch for somebody and that's all that they had So Jesus goes and he does this, Mark 6, 39, 40, and he ordered them all to recline by groups on the green grass. They reclined in groups of hundreds and fifties. This tells us a lot of things here, as a matter of fact, just that section, 39 and 40. Number one, we know that it was a lush area. It says green grass. So it was probably in the spring, and it's an area that's irrigated by the Jordan River Valley, so it would have been lush and growing. We know that. Even better than that, you see in the translations, verses 39 and 40, it all says, um, it all says groups. 39, ordered them to recline reclined by groups on the green grass. Verse 40, they reclined in groups. It's not the same word. In English, the word groups is the word groups. It doesn't really tell us much. But in the Greek, that's a picture. And let me share this with you. So verse 39 where it says, he ordered them to recline by groups. That word translates in the Greek as symposium. Okay, symposium, the word really what it translates into is a drinking party or a festive gathering. Okay, if you know about Greek and Roman symposiums, it was a a party. People would get drunk. I doubt that's what's going on here. We're focusing on the festive party aspect of that translation. Jesus is telling him in that word, this is not just going to be, we're going to feed you so you can survive and I'll keep preaching. This is now, this is a party. This is a festive occasion. We're celebrating. And we're celebrating, or we're about to celebrate God's provision. By using that word in that way at that time, he's saying, we're going to celebrate what God has done. Just you wait. Verse 40, then, they reclined in groups. That word, groups, is a Greek word, but it's a different word. It's prajia. And what what it's defined as is a garden bed. Okay, so imagine like rows or like rows of crops or a garden bed. Very well organized. Everything's in rows, and you can count them, and and they're all neatly arranged. That's what that word means. So what he's telling them, the good shepherd, Jesus is organizing people in an orderly way and he's doing it for a couple reasons one you are not just a mob anymore we are organized and we're here to celebrate what god has done and then the practical step of ordering them into groups of 50s and hundreds he's doing that for a couple reasons one is we can count you now we know how many there are by just saying jesus fed a mob is that that's impactful But if we know Jesus fed 5,000, and we can know that it was 5,000 because it says so. I'll share that with you in a second. Trust me, it says so. (laughs) But what it does tell these people is that this is not just a mob, not just a curious mob. These are now honored guests who are here purposely to celebrate the provision of the Lord in this place. They're a part of something special now. Mark 6, 41, and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples again and again to set before them. And he divided the two fish among them all. It's important to see what's going on there. If you've ever seen a video of this, you know, like a cartoon of it or somebody's taught it, sometimes it can sound like Jesus just divvies up the bread and the fish and the disciples go out and hand it. And it's like somehow multiplying in the basket. Or maybe he puts it on a table, covers it with a basket and goes, shazam, (laughs) flips over the basket. And now there's a mountain of fish. Those are magic tricks. They want to be sure that there is no confusion, that this is a magic trick or that the disciples are doing it. It says it multiplies in his hand. So I can't, explain how it looks but as he's handing the fish and the loaves after he's torn it apart it's multiplying literally in jesus's hands as he's filling their baskets and they're going out feeding the groups of the 50s or the hundreds it had to be an incredible scene going one step further what jesus blessed it with when he says he blessed it jesus was very much he had been born and raised a jew And most of the crowd and most of the disciples were Jews, and so they knew Jewish culture. And so when he says he blessed it, what he probably did was the very traditional Hebrew blessing that still goes on today. And they break this blessing into the type of food that you're receiving, food or drink. And so for the bread, he would have said, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. That is a standard traditional Hebrew blessing that he would have said, and it's still said today. And then for the fish, or any meat or any dairy, they would have said, Jesus would have said, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, at whose word all came to be. That is that is the blessing he gave. And then as the representation of that provision from God, it just miraculously multiplied in his hands. I can't imagine what it looked like, but there was no mistake. It was not a magic trick. Mark six forty two, and they all ate and were satisfied. In other words, they weren't going to just survive just enough to keep you alive. <laughs> They're going to have all they needed and more. Coincidentally, John six thirty five. no coincidentally, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. These people got to witness that in action, right in front of their face. There's 5,000 of us. How are we not going to be hungry? And yet he takes a little and multiplies it for all of them. Mark six forty three. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces of bread and of the fish. See, God, he's a, he's a God of extravagance, but not of waste. So literally, they picked that up, and they have as much left over as they started with, and yet everybody had everything that they had. Now, here's the miracle to me. They were able to somehow do that without Ziplocs, which are the modern miracle. Ziplocks are a miracle from God, I'm just saying. But they didn't have that. Mark 6, 44, there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. That is amazing. And it documents that because they were divided into groups. So we know that that's true. John 6.14 says, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which, had, which he had performed, they said, Truly, this is the prophet who came into the world. Now they are referring back. Remember, these are, these are Jewish people. And they would have known Deuteronomy... Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. To him you shall listen. So the people in the crowd are saying, this is the prophet who has come into the world. They're having this realization, watching the miracle right in front of them. Now, remember that when we talk about the miracle of Jesus walking on water. We'll talk about that next week, but just remember that little, that phrase from Deuteronomy. So let's Let's conclude this up. Let's make sense of this. Let's go back to Mark 6, 35, 36, where the disciples' solution to the problem, okay, the problem, they're tired, they're hungry, the people are tired and hungry, and they have nothing to feed them. Their solution to it is to send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It's, it's a very worldly solution to a need. It makes sense. I saw a great quote about this. The disciples' solution to the problem was to get rid of the need by getting rid of the needy. Think about that for a second. They weren't wrong. If we send them home, they'll, they'll eat. But they saw a need, and their first impulse was how to solve it in a worldly way with something they could figure out. That was their first impulse. And you can't really blame them necessarily But how often are we like that? We think, if I can't fix this, then I'll pray about it. If I can't find a solution to what we're going through now, then I'll give it over to God and I'll pray about it. If I can't find any other way, I'll ask Jesus. When we're faced with a problem or a need that seems insurmountable though, that might be for a small problem we'll do that, For those big, giant, insurmountable problems, now we have two choices. We have a couple different choices. We can either avoid dealing with it altogether, okay, or we can push the problem away. We can pretend we don't see the need, and maybe it'll go away if I pretend it's not there, or we can quite literally push that problem away and say, I don't know how to deal with this, so I'm not going to. And we just push it away. See, the enemy in that situation will speak to you, and he'll speak to you things like, things like this. This is such an inconvenience to my life. See, the disciples here, they were hungry, they were tired, they wanted to eat. And they're like, oh, here's Jesus, he's teaching again. I guess we wait. And they were the instruments of handing out all this food. It doesn't tell us whether they ate first or during or after. Probably after, though. What an inconvenience to them. All these people that Jesus is blessing by teaching them, what a pain that is. I just want to go take a nap. I would imagine they were all hangry. The devil will speak to you things like, you only make it worse. If you try, you'll only make it worse. Now, again, I'm talking about those big problems. Or just very simply, what about my own needs? Why would I give what little I have when it's barely enough for me? Lord, make a way. We'll say that, or we'll say things like, I don't have the resources, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I'm not smart enough to figure it out, I don't have the connections, I don't have... You fill in the blank. The bottom line is, though, do your prayers look more like this? Lord, make this problem go away or do your problems look like, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's important. Let me say it again. Lord, make this problem disappear. You could pray that, or you could pray, Lord, what do you want me to do? I think it's that second prayer that he's modeling here over and over and over again. We are to be instruments of God's provision. Jesus could have made a lobster dinner appear in everybody's lap that was sitting there. I know he could do that, but he didn't. He used the disciples, the cold, tired, weary, hungry disciples to go out and be instruments of his provision. Jesus could have said, form a single line and I'll just hand it out. This will be cafeteria style. He used the disciples to be instruments of that provision to go out and be his hands and feet and to do it. And we, church, we are the instruments of that provision to a world who is hungry. They are spiritually hungry and they are physically hungry. And we are meant to be instruments of that. Share his word with those who are spiritually hungry. Share our physical, material blessings with those who need them. That's what our job is. We can simply pray that Jesus will provide Or we can be His hands and feet to bring heaven to earth. Use everything that God has blessed us with to bless others. Isn't that what Scripture tells us? You have been blessed so that you can be a blessing. Over and over and over again. We hear that in Scripture. The blood in your veins, the air in your lungs, the money in your bank account, the car that you have, the house that you have. Everything has been given to you by God. Make no mistake, we didn't earn any of that. It was a blessing that God ordained and allowed in our lives, and he gave us those things, however meager they might be, so that we could go out and be his hands and feet, his instruments of blessing in this world. That is what it's for. And let me tell you, you'll have people who don't know Jesus, and they'll say, well, isn't that just being a good person? Shouldn't you just be a good person? This is so much more than just a story about being a good person. This is something that we are going to be held to account for in the last days. Church, we are going to be held to account how we handle the blessings that he has given us. Okay, it's not about just holding on to that till till your bank account rolls over to one more zero or till you get a bigger house, or till everything lines up. And now is the perfect time. I can go out and do what he's called me to do. We are held to account. And so I want to finish with a scripture. I'm going to read you a section out of Matthew, and then we'll pray and conclude the service. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. Jesus says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you use me, use all of us as your instrument of blessing to this world. Father, no matter how much we think we have, If we think we have an abundance or if we think we have barely enough to get by, Lord, it's all a gift from you and it's all meant to be given in blessing to those around you. So Lord, use us. Show us where we can be your hands and feet to this world and let us not shy away or shirk back from our mission to glorify you by giving the blessings you have given us out into this world freely, not not reluctantly, not saving back enough for ourselves, but giving freely because you are a God who blesses in abundance. And when we do that, we have the assurance that we will never lack, that you will take care of our needs. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you have blessed us with. We thank you for the introductions that you are going to make, places where we are then faced with that choice. Do I hold on to what you've given me or do I freely give? Lord, let us be bold enough. Let us be bold enough to do what you have called us to do, to give freely and to give joyfully and to be your instruments of blessing in this world. Father, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to take communion together right now. If you're out there online, grab your Elements. Let's take it together. Here in house at the crosses, we have juice and bread and crackers and you can serve yourself there. Gabe and I will be up front and we have wine and we would be happy to serve you communion. But let's do this. Let's do this in a steadfast kind of a way. Not like now's the time when we do this. Let's do this to put, put some starch in our shorts, stiffen our back and say, you know what? Every time we take communion, we say, yes, Jesus, I'm on your side. And I will take everything I am and everything I have and I will give it to you and whoever you want me to give it to, wherever you want to send me, whatever you want to do with me and my life, Lord, it belongs to you. And by taking communion, that's what you're saying. You gave yourself on the cross for me. I will give myself to you. The reward is salvation. The the reward is eternal life in heaven. But that's not here and now. That's the reward later. We live the life now by aligning ourselves with what Jesus taught and what he taught is sacrificial giving. Setting aside your hunger and your thirst and your tired feet and saying, I will serve until you tell me it's time to stop. That's our calling as children of the Lord Most High. When we take communion together, we celebrate that. Amen. We have a prayer team in the back. Please, if you need prayer for anything at all, see them. Or Maybe just turn to the person next to you and you pray with each other. That works too. We can worship together. We can listen to the words. We can just sit and soak in what the Lord has for you. But let's take time to thoughtfully respond to what he's putting on your heart right now. Thank you, guys.